Every little thing that you think you had Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalists podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. I'm Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus. And together we are the Minimalists. Welcome to episode number 19. Today we're going to talk about mental clutter or internal clutter or what would you call it? Emotional clutter. Emotional clutter. Inside clutter. What's going on inside us? We're going to talk about your feelings today. (laughs) The duo is back together. Yes. This, this I, is so nice. Ryan was sick, and then I was sick, and then Ella was sick, and so I got sick again, or, or something happened. I, but basically, we, we, we avoided being in the same podcasting room for yeah, any length of time. And so uh, we haven't been together on the last couple episodes, but we are back together because we both wanted to tackle this one, and we're both feeling outstanding for this episode today. So I say we just jump right into it. Let's listen to our, our first voicemail question. This one is from Adriana in New York City. My question is if you guys could talk about the connection between minimalism and getting rid of your clutter um, in connection to mental health. Your material possessions are a physical manifestation of what's going on inside you. So if you have a lot of external clutter, and I'm, I'm speaking from my point of view, first off, I had a lot of external clutter. You've heard me talk about the 300,000 items that the average American household has. Now, much of that is clutter, right? Much of it, even if it's well-organized, it's just well-organized clutter. Uh, And your house may not seem infinitely cluttered like what you would see on your TV on an episode of Hoarders or something like that. But if there is a lot of external clutter, it is a reflection of what's going on inside. So physical clutter is a manifestation of emotional clutter, of mental clutter, of internal clutter, spiritual clutter, and other types of of clutter that are going on inside you. And so by dealing with with the stuff around me, I was able to finally start to deal with what was going on inside. So as I started simplifying, as I started letting go of the excess stuff in my life, I, I started with that question, does this add value to my life? And I asked that question over and over and over. And over the course of eight months, I I jettisoned about 90% of my material possessions, but over that time, I started feeling freer and lighter and happier. Now, it's not that I felt physically lighter. I felt this weight lifted from me internally, and that's because as I let go of what was going on outside, I was able to start looking inward and saying, what is going on in here? Asking some important questions. Why have I been so discontented? Why have I given this stuff so much meaning? What's, what's the purpose of my life? What do I find meaning in? Where am I going? Who's the person I want to become? And by asking these questions, we're able to start decluttering on the inside. 
Yeah, it's that's totally correct. I would I'd say for me, the biggest thing I noticed in my mental clutter when I started to uh, declutter was this like feng shui effect mm. that everything had. It's like after that packing party, I was uh, sitting there in an empty room and it was like very echoey. And I noticed though, when I went to like pull up my email or read a book or do some type of activity, it was a lot easier to focus. It was a lot easier to concentrate. You didn't have all those visual distractions. Exactly. Yeah. So there's definitely certainly a, a feng shui thing that goes on with it. Not not a system that I prescribe to. I haven't really looked into it, honestly. But but yeah, I, I could totally see where uh, feng shui, they're onto something for sure. Adriana, you are in New York City. I'd love to send you a couple tickets to our documentary. We have a documentary coming out May 24th. It'll be in theaters. It's called Minimalism, a documentary about the important things. And we have an entire section in that documentary about meditation and mindfulness and, and dealing with what's going on inside. Our next question is from James in Muncie, Indiana. I'm finding great ways to declutter my space. And I'm kind of wondering the best method on which I should declutter my mind or if you have any insights to that. I always thought that that clearing my mind at first was, or, or meditation. You, you hear about about meditation when you know what ten, fifteen years ago, Ryan. And it seems so woo woo <laughs> and crazy spiritual really? or whatever. But then our friend, uh, a guy named Colin Wright, and uh, wrote about this experience in the last chapter of uh, of our memoir, Everything That Remains. He he was on tour with us, and he would do. He travels a lot. He sort of this perpetual traveler and so he has a lot of sort of downtime and he every day does something what he calls his 20 minutes of awesome and this is the the first thing that i ever tried to start to clear my mind where he will just sit wherever he is in a seat of a bus or on an airplane or just in a chair in his bedroom and he will let his mind stay activated for 20 minutes. He'll let his mind wander for 20 minutes, but he won't focus on any one thing in particular. Now, this isn't a traditional mindfulness practice, and hopefully we'll be able to talk about that during this, this podcast. But what I learned from that is clearing your mind was as simple as just letting it go. And that was his process of letting the thoughts go, letting the extraneous things that were entering his brain and cluttering and activating the back of his mind, letting it go. And so taking that 20 minutes a day and and just sitting down and literally doing nothing was a way for him to to clear his mind. If you're looking for a more mindfulness meditation, uh, a guy named Sam Harris, he's a neuroscientist, but he also has a lot of experience with meditation. He spent many years living in ashrams and, I think, caves and other places. We interviewed him for our documentary as well. And, you know, he he has a, a couple guided meditations, a nine-minute meditation and a 27-minute guided meditation. And when I first started meditating, those are the guided meditations I started using. I started with the, the nine-minute one. It's still difficult for me to do a 27-minute sit and, and do it with any regularity, but I'll often do a 10-minute a practice. And so we'll put a link to both of those in, in the show notes, and hopefully you'll find some value in doing some very basic guided meditation, mindfulness meditation. 
Yeah, I, I think it starts with the stuff. I mean, we, we talked about that earlier, how the, the physical items we have is kind of this uh, manifestation of what's going on inside of us. So, you know, I would say, James, if you have not started to declutter your, your physical items, that would be a great place to start. Um, I would I would say, too, be very careful of the type of entertainment that you're taking in. I know for me, uh, I had to really cut out a lot of, like, magazine subscriptions, TV shows I was watching, a lot of different things that cluttered up my mind. It made me want things that I necessarily didn't even know that I wanted before. Like, you know, I used to subscribe to GQ magazine, mm. and I remember there was, like, this Lexus, uh, this, like, ISF that came out in, like, two thousand and six or something and it was like this really awesome car and it was like right at that threshold it was probably like a 70 eighty thousand dollar car i knew i could afford it but i knew that i would be uh beholden to that car for the next you know five years it wasn't something i I would be able to afford up front Mm -hmm. so it took a it took a lot for me to to uh not not get that but my point is is that was mental clutter i had like I, if it wasn't for seeing that advertisement and getting that that taste of this fancy new car, I would not have had to have put myself through that that mental anguish of going and test driving it and, and deciding whether or not I want to get it and and uh, filling my life with 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 needless wants. Um, that's certainly a way to to get rid of mental clutter. Yeah, the the average American sees five thousand advertisements a day, and we would be fools to think that we weren't influenced by those advertisements. Right. Even me and you. We can succumb to the, I mean, these, these marketing ads, they're really slick. And there are demographers and scholars of marketing who get paid hundreds of thousands, oh, yeah. often millions of dollars a year to aggregate our eyeballs toward their advertisements. And so we, we need to be very careful with, uh, with what we are bringing in. And, and so you can start with very simple things like ad blockers, or you can just not look at the magazine. You can not look at the things that have advertisements in them, or you can mute the advertisements. You can fast forward past them, et cetera. And, and you can find ways to not have to be, not, not, not have to filter those out if you're not bringing them in in the first place. And, and James, there is an entire chapter on mindfulness in our book, Essential. So I'd love to send you a copy of that. I hope you find some value in it. And of course, once, uh, when, once you've read it, Please uh, minimize it, declutter it, let someone else get some value from it. The value is in the words, the experience of the book, not in the, the physical artifact itself. Our next question is from Jen in Brooklyn. So I was interested in your thoughts about meditation. Um, it seems like there are a lot of things that align with minimalism and meditation. I was wondering if you guys meditate yourself. I personally just recently um, just got into meditation and also have started to I want to take on a minimalist lifestyle. So I'm just finding a lot of similarities personally. My first experience with mindfulness meditation or any form of, of sort of formal meditation after that 20 minutes of awesome, which was actually a nice uh, dipping the toe in the water, developing a bit of a practice and just sitting there and, and carving out the time. But my first experience with, I guess, more formal mindfulness meditation was in a book called 10% Happier by a guy named Dan Harris. And he has a, a bunch of resources. So we can talk about that real quick. He is in our documentary and he talks about uh, about this journey that he went through. And he talks about it in detail in his book, uh, 10% Happier. For those of you who don't know who Dan Harris is, he is a news anchor on Nightline and Good Morning America. And he had a panic attack on air in front of 5 million people. 
and he realized that he needed to regain control of his anxiety and and his depression, and uh, he needed to find a way to clear that mental clutter. And meditation was eventually the tool that he stumbled across after uh, exploring a bunch of different ways to try to cure his anxiety. And so meditation for him was a was a practice that that uh, worked in in a context that wasn't woo woo. And that's what was so appealing to me. Here's a suit and tie guy who's all of a sudden meditating. And his story resonated. It was a really well-written story. And um, he outlined how to, uh, how to declutter your mind and what the benefits of that were and how he was able to regain control of his focus and his professional life and, and just live better in all other aspects of his life. Now, he also has a, a podcast called, called, also called 10% Happier, which he just started not that long ago, and I've really been enjoying it. Uh, he had a, a recent episode with uh, Rivers Cuomo from the band. He's the lead singer of the band Weezer. And man, it was it was a great episode. I I guess Rivers meditates for two hours a day every day, and so and and so does Dan now. And and Dan's really committed to that practice of of mindfulness meditation. He also has an app, the Ten Percent Happier app, which I just downloaded. And I'm going to compare that with a couple other apps. I, I can't necessarily recommend one over the other, but there are a few meditation apps out there that will help you uh, gu- help guide you along the way. Now, let me just give you a, ca- a caveat here. You don't necessarily need an app to start meditating. You can take some of those free Sam Harris um, guided meditations uh, that we'll put in the show notes, and that's a great place to get started, or even any of these apps. I think they have free trial periods or whatever. You can go with uh, the 10% Happier app. I think that is the the beginner's way to really get started. Uh, there's also an app called Headspace that I've used and I have, I've really liked in the past. Uh, I'll tell you, when I meditate, though, I fall asleep about 50% of the time. Meditating is great for me at night because I will always go to sleep before the, the 10 or 20-minute mark, depending on what I said it at. And in fact, uh, I've tried to meditate with Becca several times. And any time we try it at night, man, she, she just gets pissed at me because I will just fall asleep. I just, meditation is a great way for me to fall asleep. And asking about that, you know, asking Sam Harris uh, about that during a documentary, and he says, well, I think maybe you just need to go to sleep then. Like <laughs> your body's telling you something that you should probably be asleep. Uh, another app called Calm, which has some phenomenal reviews. And, and I would encourage you to try that out. And if you have any, any feedback on any of those, make sure you, you tweet us. But I, I'll tell you that getting started with the practice of meditation is difficult. And there's a few different types of, of, of meditation. We've talked about mindfulness meditation up to this point. The other really popular one is TM, Transcendental Meditation, where you focus on a mantra, a, a phrase, or, or a word, and, and you focus on that for 10, 20 minutes. Uh, I have not done TM, but I plan on doing it in the near future just so I have a, a frame of reference so that I can compare the two. And so we will put a, a link to the, I think it's tm.org or something like that. We'll put it in the show notes, whatever the actual link is. Uh, from what I've heard, uh, to if you want to go through a formal training on TM, it's relatively expensive, mm-hmm. but I don't think you have to do any kind of formal training to to you know to start meditating. No, that's that's the type of meditation I use is the TM meditation. I started with the uh, mindfulness where I tried to like let my mind uh, just kind of be clear, but you know my mind doesn't do that very well. <laughs> it is constantly going. It is constantly thinking uh, of something. If it's not. 
uh, you know, the present moment of what I need to do right then. It's, you know, what I need to do later in the day or what I need to do later in the week. And what I've done is I've used uh, TM to kind of use that uh, to my advantage, that, that, that unquiet mind to my advantage. So what I will do is I will sit, typically it's in the uh, morning to mid-morning, I will sit for five minutes to 30 minutes. Uh, I don't really put a specific time on it. Um, I just go as long as I can. And I will think about how I want my day to unfold, meaning I will pick one or two things. If I have mentoring clients uh, that, that day, then I will be thinking to myself, all right, I want to have some really good uh, uh, meetings. I want to be able to be articulate and really add a lot of value to this client. Or maybe it's I'm recording a podcast and I'll be on, I will sit there and think to myself, okay, Ryan, I, I want to have a good podcast. And today's podcast is about X. And I will go over that stuff in my mind and really focus on, on one thing that I want to make outstanding that day. Sometimes it's two things, um, but I typically, typically don't go above above two things. But yeah, TM is certainly a, a great way to meditate as well. Jen, let me send you a couple tickets to our documentary, Minimalism. And uh, let's see, I think you have a, there's a screening in Brooklyn. We'll send, you, we'll send you a couple tickets to that. Our next question is from Sarah in Milwaukee. In my minimalism journey, I've come to realize that overconsum- my overconsumption and shopping habits have um, been a distraction to all my mental clutter, whether from anxiety to unprocessed traumas. And now that I'm simplifying my life, that mental clutter is really facing me head on and I'm not really sure where to begin. Quite often we have to look at what our habits are right now and see if those habits are creating more mental clutter or if they're just getting in the way of allowing us to to tackle that mental clutter. It sounds to me like you have a, a fairly pernicious shopping habit. We all need to shop, right? I think we all we all have to buy some stuff from time to time. And so it's often a necessity of life to head over to Bed Bath and Beyond or wherever you're going to shop. Josh but, loves that place. Man, I am <laughs> um, it just smells so good. <laughs> No, I I think that um I think that what happens though is when shopping becomes a pacifier. See, I don't find shopping to be a meaningful task. I find shopping to be a a necessary task. So Sarah, you you mentioned that the shopping is kind of getting in the way of allowing you to to access that part of you that will allow you to to tackle your mental clutter. So two things. One is I would say create space in your daily life, create space in your rhythm. I try to schedule fewer things now, but even when I have something like I need to go shopping, I will put that on my schedule and then I'll leave plenty of space between that and the next thing I'm doing. And, and I'll ask myself some questions. You know, is, is this going to add value to my life? When I go shopping now, it, it tends to be out of necessity, not, not to... Uh, alleviate or to mask uh, some other problem. And then second, I would say if you're going to eliminate that, that if you consider that to be a bad habit and you want to eliminate that habit, then of course you need to not just eliminate there, get removed the habit, you have to replace those habits with new empowering habits. And that could be exercise, that could be joining some sort of uh, community group. It can be uh, donating your time to a local soup kitchen or Habitat for Humanity what do you find meaningful? Have you asked yourself that question recently? And by answering that question, you'll be able to, to migrate your, that time over to something that, that you are going to find truly valuable and not just a, a pacifier that's going to give us a, a short dopamine rush in the moment. 
Yeah, the one thing that, or I should say the two things that stood out that Sarah said about her mental clutter, she mentioned anxiety, and she also mentioned past trauma. So those are two things that I know that I had uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of issues with with my mental clutter. And I started to actually go see a, a professional. I went to go see a therapist. I found someone uh, through a recommendation that I trusted to go and talk to. And it's funny, I actually got that idea from Tony Soprano off of The Sopranos. Yeah. Like every, I think it was, if it wasn't every episode, it was every other episode where he was talking to his, uh, his shrink mm-hmm. at, 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 uh, at the end of the episode. And what, what I saw there was, well, here's a guy, Tony Soprano, who has it all, right? Like he is this guy who runs the mob. Uh, why does he, he, why does he need anyone to talk to that? You know, to me, that didn't really make sense until I really looked at it. I'm like, well, of course he has, to, he doesn't have anyone to talk to that is impartial. Everyone that is in his life is, uh, is going to give him a very biased opinion. So he right. has to go out and seek an unbiased opinion. And I was in the same situation where, you know, even talking to friends sometimes it's, it, that can help. But sometimes we do need to find an outside, impartial sounding board with someone uh, that we trust. I know a lot of my mentoring clients, they, they use me for that impartial sounding board. Um, they will just talk through, uh, or not just me, but any of my other, uh, any of the other mentors um, that, that, that I have, they will use them as a sounding board. I know um, a lot of folks will just talk, talk to Carl Widener. Uh, about a business plan just to see what his thoughts are on it. Mm-hmm. And I could go to Josh and talk to him about a business plan and he's going to support me. And that's great. Uh, but sometimes, um, you know, you, you do need the support, but you also need that very um, honest uh, feedback. And I would say too, um, I would probably talk to Josh, like if I had a great business plan, I'd talk to Josh about that, but I would also seek out other opinions as well. But uh, I guess what I'm really trying to say, Sarah, is if you do find yourself um, still dealing with this, this, these past traumas, still dealing with a lot of anxiety. I would, I would really recommend you go find, uh, someone impartial, uh, as a sounding board that you can kind of let everything, uh, let, let everything out with. Sarah, I'd love to send you a copy of everything that remains because it's a whole story of, of letting go and then you know, moving on through new habits. You know, it's a transition in life, uh, of, of, bad going with the flow times to a time where uh, realizing that going with the flow ends up, well, ends up taking you somewhere where you don't want to go and and being able to change that by really changing the habits. So I'm going to send you a copy of Everything That Remains. Sydney in Florida has another question for us. I recently started my journey in minimalism. One of the hardest aspects for me, though, is motivation. I have an anxiety disorder and dysthymia, which is a form of low-grade chronic depression. These conditions often make it difficult for me to find the energy or willpower to, to declutter or even to engage in activities I'm passionate about. I've often heard people say things like, just think about how much better everything will be once you do it, or to tell myself to just get up and do it, but these usually don't help. Do you have any tips for working towards minimalism when these, when these kinds of mental conditions hold me back? It's funny you, you you come up with this question on on anxiety and low energy. Those are two things that I often suffer from. I know it's probably sometimes hard to tell with with the podcast or whatever, but um, I have something called multiple chemical sensitivities, and so there there I whenever I'm exposed to like uh, uh, toxins or VOCs, certain chemicals, I find that um, my energy is just drained from me a lot of the time. And so I find different ways to to get out of that. One is, you, A, you have to make sure you're, you're sleeping a certain amount. 
you're you're focusing on your health as much as you can. So whether that's diet, exercise, sleep, low levels of stress, not bringing new stress into your life, those are all important. But also, when, when it comes to getting things done, one of the things that has helped me along the way is having someone there to hold me accountable. And so whether that's a friend or a family member or a coworker, or if you don't have anyone, you could go over to minimalist.org and we have free local meetup groups in a hundred different cities and eight countries across the world and even an online meetup group if you want people online to hold you accountable. But ultimately, it, it's easier for us to have someone else hold us accountable to tell us what to do or when we're messing up. And in fact, with many of my writing students, what I'll have them do with their accountability partners each day, they write a quick 30 to 60 second email. It's three lines about their writing for the day. How long did I write? What did I like about it? What didn't I like about it? And and that's it. And it takes them maybe 60 seconds to, to write that. But they send that to their accountability partner every day. And then if they don't send it, their accountability partner is saying, hey, where's did you write today? Why not? Mm-hmm. And because we care about people. And so the other thing that I'm going to recommend to you is to find other ways, find ways to contribute to people you really care about. It's everyone knows that we will often do much more for the people we love than we will for ourselves. And, and so finding a way to contribute to the people you care about may be that motivation you need to, to, to really get out there and uh, uh, get past the, the anxiety that, that you're experiencing. Yeah, uh, Sydney, just to kind of echo that, you know, we do go out of our way for the ones we love. And I, if you're anything like me, Sydney, it's a lot easier for me to do something for Josh, let's say, than it is for myself. So what I mean by that is maybe, uh, you know, I'm, I, I need to write in the morning. And if I set a specific time to write, uh, when I get up and if I, and if I plan on doing it by myself, it's, it's a lot more difficult for me to find that motivation to write than it is if, let's say, I agreed to meet Josh at a certain place at 8 a.m. If I, in that scenario where I'm supposed to meet Josh, I will get up and I automatically have this motivation, this inspiration to act and to go and uh, meet Josh because I don't want to let him down. But ultimately, if we aren't making those decisions for ourselves. So for me, if I am not getting up and writing, um, I am, I am not practicing loving myself. And I know that like that, that term love yourself, it's such a, a propagated thing in our society. It sounds very cliche, but, but I do practice uh, loving myself every day by making those decisions that are going to make me a better person. So the way I look at it is if I am on the couch and I'm trying to find this motivation to go right, I know that Josh, if he was there in that room with me, he would be looking at me and thinking, man, Ryan, just get up and do it, man. You're, you're going you're gonna to feel so much better afterwards. And I have to step outside myself and kind of put myself in that position where I'm in that room with myself. And, and I know that I would, I'm rooting for myself. So making the decision to, to actually get up and do something, to take the action, to push through uh, that, that point of low motivation uh, is, is really a way to, to practice loving myself. And it's funny because if I ask, you know, 10 people, do you love yourself? Uh, probably nine of them are going to say yes. Right. But really, it's loving yourself, to me, 
is it's the same thing with with loving with loving you, Josh. Love is right. a verb. I mean, I, I could sit here all day long and say I love you, but if I'm not taking the actions to show you that, then really, do I love you? Right. You, you don't. You, you don't feel love the same way that you do love. You may feel, but it, the other person doesn't understand that that's expressed. And in fact, I, I would I would transfer that over to anxiety. You don't. You, you don't get anxious. You do anxious. Mm. Your physiology will often, uh, at least mine will, map out to that of a of a anxious person, right? Yeah. And so, uh, being willing to change your your physical state as well, whether that's jumping up and down with a big smile on your face, or finding a way to get out in the sun, or, or finding something to do different. Go do will... cartwheels, somersaults, like anything. Yeah, anxiety. <laughs> I was listening to an interview with with uh, George Mumford, who is a, a meditation teacher and an author. He did a bunch of meditation for like the uh, Chicago Bulls back in the 90s before meditation was in vogue. Uh, he does it for the Knicks now, I believe. And um, he, he was talking about how anxiety is, is a high level of challenge with a low level of skill. And so question yourself, what is the challenge that's in front of me, right? And boredom's the opposite of that, right? High-level skill, low-level challenge. And, and so if you're experiencing anxiety in your life, what is that challenge? And how do you, how do you then acquire the skills to, to meet that challenge? Well, we'd love to hear what you have to say. So if you have a comment about mental clutter, internal clutter, emotional clutter, or any minimalism tips for that kind of clutter... Uh, we'd love to know how you handle it. Leave us a voicemail, 406-219-7839. We'll air our favorite comments and tips on a following episode. All right, Josh, let's move on to our hashtag Ask the Minimalists lightning round, where we answer questions from social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram, at The Minimalists, and Facebook.com slash The Minimalists. Our first question comes from Aylin from Atlanta. What techniques do you use to mentally declutter at work? That's a good question. I know for me, it started with saying no a lot more often. Hmm. I, I was, well, my personality in general is like the people pleaser, like extrovert, like to be around people, want the people to want me to be around them. So I say yes. I used to say yes to as much as I could. And what hmm. I found is saying yes to all those people, even though I have the best intentions, it really weighed on me mentally. Even if I followed through with every single yes that I committed to, which, which I did 99.9% of the time, no one would know how exhausted I was or how much mental anguish that would cause on me, but it certainly did weigh on me. So I, I, would, I would say think about, the th- think about how many times you're telling people yes versus how many times you're telling them no. Yeah, because when you're saying yes to all of those people, every single request, that you're actually saying no to that which is more important, right? And so the, the opposite is obviously also true. By, by saying no, we're making space for the most important yeses in our lives. We're making space for our primary relationships. We're making space for spending time on our health. We're making space for creativity. We're making space to contribute to our community. And so saying yes to those things means, yeah, we do have to say no to a lot of other things that are going to get in the way of that. In fact, uh, another way to look at at mindfulness, if you do want to avoid any of the, the connotations that that brings with it, is let's just talk about focus, right? My favorite quote is from Henry David Thoreau. 
he, he said it's not a, enough to be busy. The question is, what are you busy about? And, and so really what that means is what are you focused on? And Ryan and I focus on one major project a year with the minimalists, and, and that has worked out really well for us over the years. Now, it doesn't mean we do only one thing for the year. Everything serves that major project. This year happens to be the documentary that's coming out, uh, but everything else we're doing will help serve that in some way. It doesn't mean it will necessarily serve it directly, but it may serve it indirectly. But it also means we have to say no to a whole lot of stuff. Uh, last year, same thing. We had just dozens, if not hundreds, of requests for interviews throughout the year, and we said no to all of them except for three. And and that was important, not because we didn't want to do those interviews. Yes, if you could clone us and allow those clones to go do the interviews, great. But by saying yes to those, we would have been saying no to what we were trying to focus on. And uh, yeah, I, I wanted to make sure that, that we're not just being busy, we're being focused. Yeah, I, I would say another tip too would would be set the right expectations with with your coworkers, with your boss. Make sure that they understand uh, what what you're willing to 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 dish out. Um, I remember uh, Josh did this uh, with our boss uh, when we were back in the corporate world when he when he first started setting expectations. Yeah, I was simplifying my life and 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 letting go of certain commitments and. People at work started noticing that I was calmer, I was less stressed, and I was happier, and, and, and I was being nicer to people, but also I was being more candid with, with people, which was a, a nice benefit of removing this, this excess clutter in my life. I was no longer necessarily tied to that same lifestyle. And now keep in mind, Ryan and I used to work 70 or 80 hours a week. We used to work 362 days a year, literally 362 days a year. We managed a bunch of retail stores. And so we were constantly on call. We were like doctors, except we weren't saving anyone's lives. We couldn't even save ourselves. And, and so my boss called me. It was uh, two days before Christmas. And I was out on a date, actually. Uh, and it was 8.30 at night, and I was eating dinner, and he called me back to back to back. And I just kept ignoring it because it's 8.30 at night, and it's two days before Christmas. Well, he needed a sales update from my, my sales region. And uh, finally, I answered the phone on the third or fourth time that he called. And and he's like, why aren't you answering your phone? I, I said, because I'm eating dinner. He's like, well, I need your numbers. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll have them to you as soon as I'm done with this. But right now, I'm, I'm focused on something else. He goes, well, you know you're supposed to have them to me at, at, at 8 o'clock. And I said, you know, I think that's just an unfair expectation that you have. And he was audibly thrown back because people didn't talk to their, their bosses that way. And it's not that I encourage people to go out and be mean or rude. I certainly wasn't mean or rude, but he had a bad expectation. And you know what? I had to reset that expectation. And that's hard. And so we have to often do that with, with the people that we care about most is make sure that we're constantly setting good expectations. Now, now the best way to do that is way, way, way in advance. If you don't want any Christmas presents, now is a good time to start talking about not wanting Christmas presents. Don't wait until December 20th to say, I don't want Christmas presents. So a better way for me to handle that very very well could have been for me to set a better expectation way earlier. But because I had fallen into this rhythm, 
and everyone else was in that same rhythm, eventually, I, if I wanted to change that rhythm, I had to change the pattern. And so, yes, it's really important to, to realize that, that I was saying no to him because he had a bad expectation. And so I had to change that for sure. All right, let's go on to our next question. This one is from Jane Scott in Edinburgh. If you've lost the ability to think clearly and to focus on tasks, how do you get it back? I change my state by, by trying to change my, my, physio- my physiology. I will go for a walk. Even if it's uh, you know, 5, 10, 20 minutes, I will jump up, up and down like a crazy person. I will uh, do a bunch of push-ups or pull-ups really quickly. Go into the bathroom, smile at yourself. Yes, yeah, put that big old grin on my face. And, and you know, it, it sounds very Stuart Smalley-ish. But, but you know, I, that was Stuart Smalley, right, on, on SNL? Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, found, I find that if you change your immediate state, your physiology, you're able to often you know, get back to that, that clear, focused thought process. Also, I've done some breathing exercises. In fact, if I don't have time to meditate in the morning, I will do uh, some breathing exercises from one of two people, either Wim Hof or Tony Robbins. Uh, Wim Hof, uh, he's known as the Iceman. Uh, he has a documentary on Vice. We'll put a link to that in the show notes if Sean can do that. And uh, Tony Robbins also has some great breathing exercises. And uh, he, ha- he has a great morning routine where he picks three things that he's grateful for and three things he wants to focus on throughout the day. And I think we'll be able to find a link to, to his breathing routine as well. He just started a podcast recently, uh, a business podcast, but that and it's pretty solid. So some good breathing routines will really help me change my state, especially Wim Hof. It's this crazy deep breathing. So you're oxygenating your body, just... And then you let out not all of your air, but then you breathe it in again. So you just... And man, after 10 of those, or even if you can do only three, you have time to do only three, you feel this huge change in state. So definitely try that out. And we'll put a link to the the Wim Hof method there as well. Yeah, I think that meditation also plays a big role in this too, right? Um, if, if you're someone who is is having a lot of mental clutter, I mean, we, we've been talking about it throughout this podcast, uh, certainly try out um, any of those apps that Josh mentioned. But, you know, for me... Uh, I, I don't know how you relate to this, Jane Scott, but for me, when I found myself getting uh, that focus back is when my health started improving. So like when I looked at my diet, when I looked at how much I exercised, when I look at the drugs that I was taking, when I say drugs, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm talking illegal drugs, but I'm also talking about caffeine. I'm talking about alcohol. I'm talking about anything that I would ingest in my body. When I really took a close look at that and I started to change uh, those things, I really started to get a clearer state. Now, I'm not saying that you know uh, diet and exercise is going to fix all of your problems, but I do promise you that if you are someone uh, who was like me and don't have the best diet, doesn't have the best exercise routine, it will help out exponentially to help you focus more. All right, our next question is from Siraj in London. He asks, what can we replace mental clutter with? Often we think about when we get rid of mental clutter that your mind's just going to be empty. Or maybe we think that's the point of meditation sometimes. And by meditating, I'm just going to get rid of all my thoughts. No, I think what we replace it with is awareness. And I think awareness is the most precious kind of freedom. 
by and by 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 letting go of the excess, by letting go of the mental clutter. Well, then it allows us to be aware of what's going on around us, what our situation is. And and awareness comes from starting to ask better, more empowering questions. And then I also would say create space in your life for nothingness. I I think there's a certain kind of emptiness in your life, but by not having it cluttered, that emptiness is freeing. Yeah, you know, getting rid of all that mental clutter, it, it gives us room for life's more important things. For me, it was relationships. I mean, my mother lived a half hour away from me. I might have seen her maybe, maybe like four or five times a year, just like the the obligatory holidays and and maybe Mother's Day. It was because I was too busy mm-hmm. doing doing other things. I was too busy to think about how she was doing, how my my father was doing. He same situation. He lived a half hour away. Uh, hardly saw him as well. So I would say if, if you've got a, a ton of uh, a mental room, start contributing to others. Fi- find, find ways you can contribute uh, to your current relationships or in other ways. All right, our next question comes from Colleen in San Jose, California. What do you think about to-do lists as a way to clear mental clutter, or do they just add to it? I think to-do lists are, are both good and bad, depending on, on how you use them. Uh, for me, I used to beat myself up with my to-do list, right? I would have this to-do list that was an infinite to-do list. I couldn't possibly clear everything off. So what did that do? It created anxiety. It created stress. It created more mental clutter in my life. But by having a curated to-do list, by putting very few things on that to-do list, I realized that a to-do list is very useful. If I have fewer than five things on my to-do list or or... or I like what, what Tim Ferriss does with with uh, each morning with, with sort of daily journaling, writing down the three to five things you want to accomplish today, today and then put a star next to the thing that you find to be most important. Like my day would be successful if I accomplish this. And then you're setting yourself up for success because if you accomplish that and then one or two other things on your list – you're, you've already succeeded because you've, you've changed the definition of success first thing in the morning. All right, our next question is from Pauline in Malta. How can I keep the memories of important things? Pauline, I think it's important to remember that our memories are not in our things. Our memories are inside us. And sometimes the things can trigger the memories. And so I think it's important often for us, to, when we're getting rid of stuff, to maybe take pictures of those things. When I was getting rid of a lot of my mom's stuff, when I first embarked on this journey toward minimalism, I took photos of a lot of her big sentimental items. I didn't want to hang on to that big piece of furniture, that big painting, or 10,000 doilies. But if I took one digital photo of it, I would then have access to it in perpetuity because it's stored in a cloud. And I don't have to worry about losing that memory trigger, but I also know that the memory was never in the thing in the first place. Yeah, I know I scanned a bunch of letters uh, my mom had wrote me when I was in high school, and at the time, they meant a lot to me, and uh, when I was going through my packing party and getting rid of everything, um, I got to those letters, and I remember just like kind of wincing, (laughs) thinking about throwing those away, Mm. because I don't want to forget those memories, and it's funny because, too, I read one of the letters, and it didn't give me the same feeling it gave me in high school. I mean, I still appreciated it, don't get me wrong, but you know, it wasn't the elation or, or the sentiment that I experienced when I first got that letter. So that, that was one lesson that I learned. But 
but I still went and scanned those, and I can still read those if if I really really want to. So there are certain certainly ways you can hold on to. Uh, uh, I don't want to say physical items as much as like remnants of physical items. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's that good. that that is something that is certainly possible to uh, to hang on to and and still be able to trigger those memories. All right, our last question here is from Paul in the UK. I worry about the inevitability of my own demise. Any tips? Well, you know, there's a couple things that come to mind. Uh, Tony Robbins talks a lot about incantations. Uh, Our dear, dear friend Stan Dukes, who passed away a couple years ago, he always talked about PMA, which is a positive mental attitude. But what these two things speak towards is what, what are you telling yourself every day, Paul? It sounds like you are telling yourself every day that you are going to eventually experience your own demise. And I would say, Paul, my friend, if that is what you're telling yourself every day, yes, you're eventually going to experience your demise. We are, uh, we are our, our, our incantations. I would really encourage you to practice that, that PMA, that positive mental attitude. It very much uh, has to do with kind of acting as if. I'm sure many of you out, out there have heard of that, but what, what it means to act as if is you get up in the morning and maybe you feel depressed. Maybe you feel like, oh man, today's the day I'm going to experience my demise. You've got to ask yourself a question. What would I do right now if I was a really happy person? What would I do right now if, if I knew today was going to be a really good day and acting as if you are that person? And if you can overcome those negative thoughts with, with acting as if, uh, that will certainly help you uh, not experience your own demise. It helped with me tremendously. I think a lot of my, uh, the reason why I had th- this, this feeling of, of, of always seeing my own demise, I can totally relate with Paul here, mm-hmm. is because I was raised with this end times uh, mentality, meaning that you know uh, the, the world was going to end, Armageddon is going to happen uh, before I die, and, and I was always on the lookout for the end times. So I, I, don't, I don't know if, if that's why Paul is experiencing it. But for me, it was really hard to get over that feeling of my own demise or feeling like at any second the rug was going to be uh, swept from underneath of me. Even mm-hmm. when I was in the corporate world, like as I was getting all those promotions, as I was making the big salary, I still always felt, man, one day, one day this is all just going to be taken away from me and I'm going I'm to be living in a cardboard box. I legitimately felt that. But when I started practicing positive mental attitude, when I would, when I would catch myself in those negative thoughts, turn it around and, and act as if, uh, it really helped me to, to get through all of that, that mental anguish that I was putting myself through. Paul, everything is ephemeral. So yes, it is true that you're going to die because on a, a long enough timeline, everything ends. All of your relationships will end, your happiness will end, your depression will end, and even your life it will end. And that's because nothing lasts forever. Not even the little diamonds and, and the, the, the beers advertisement. Right. And, and yet we live our lives like, like what the, the best things, all of the good stuff is going to continue in perpetuity. Like all the good stuff is going to stick around and the bad stuff will go away once we obtain everything we want. But good or bad, I think our life is limited. Everything is eventual and endings are inevitable. You feeling warm and fuzzy yet? Well, maybe you should because I think the most important reason to to live in the moment is that nothing lasts forever. And so 
enjoy the moment while it's in front of you. And that means be present. Accept your life for what it is. It's, it's a finite span of time, but there are infinite possibilities. And so that means we should treat our friends with the utmost respect. We should treat our lovers with our full attention. And we should treat today like it matters, because it does. Now is the only time that we can live in the moment. It is always now. So you don't have to wait until that next special occasion to show the people in your life that you love them. If you wait until their birthdays, if you wait until Christmas, if you wait until next week, or you wait until whatever, the moment may never come. You can say the words now. You can show that you care about others right now if you're being present. You can do it with your actions every day. And so, yes, everything's going to end. And so the only time that is most important in our lives is right now. Okay, now it's time to move on to our added value portion of the show. This is where we each recommend something that has added value to our lives recently. For me, I've got a few things. I've recommended quite a few things throughout this. So whether it's the 10% Happier book or the 10% Happier app or uh, Sam Harris also has a book called Waking Up, which we'll throw on the show notes uh, as well. We also have interviews with uh, uh, Dan Harris and Sam Harris. They're not related, by the way. Um, they are, have interviews on our website. We'll put links to those. And they're also both in our documentary. Um, they're radically different people, but they both reached meditation in, in different ways. Uh, Sam being a neuroscientist, so noticing the 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 benefits there of meditation on the brain, and then Dan just noticing the, the practical benefits in his everyday life. But the, the book I want to recommend is a book by a guy named Rob Bell. It's called How to Be Here. It's my favorite book of the year so far. And he really talks about how to be in the moment, how to be alive, and, and how to live a very intentional life. And so I, I love the book. I've, I've shared quite a few quotes from it on, on social media. And I, I was reading it on my uh, phone when I was on an airplane. It's a very short read. And I just kept taking screenshots and sending them to Becca. Like, like you've got to read this passage. I highlight a passage, and I would, I would send it off to her. But uh, I think you'll find a lot of value in that book, How to Be Here by Rob Bell. Well, you know, what I really love about minimalism is the fact that there isn't one way to do it. There are so many different recipes out there. So I'm, I'm going to recommend Joshua Becker's new book that comes out on May 3rd. It's called The More of Less. And what Joshua Becker has done is curated some really, really cool stories of people who deal with uh, different different uh, cluttered lives and share their recipes on, on how they were able to, to live a more meaningful life. So if you're looking for uh, just, just more ingredients, if you're looking for different perspectives, there are a lot of different perspectives in this book. Check it out. Let's move on to right here, right now. This is where Ryan and I get to talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. Of course, we have a documentary, Minimalism, a documentary about the important things, coming out in the theaters uh, May 24th, 2016. And so three years ago, we, we basically decided to make this documentary, and, and we did, didn't want it to be just the, the Josh and Ryan show. We wanted to make minimalism accessible. We wanted to show people that minimalism isn't a radical lifestyle, it's a practical lifestyle. So we, we hooked up with our, our director, Matt Diavella, who is just this amazing, talented 
genius director and the folks over at Spire Media. And we went out and interviewed just dozens of minimalists from all walks of life. We interviewed minimalist families, minimalist entrepreneurs, environmentalists, economists, neuroscientists, uh, neuropsychiatrists, um, and tiny house enthusiasts, journalists, even a, a former Wall Street broker. And we discovered that all these people, they, they have these different lives, right? But they share one thing in common. They're all striving to live a meaningful life with less. And so that film will be in theaters pretty soon. Ryan and I are getting ready to hit the road uh, next week, and we will be in about a dozen or so cities. Most of those are sold out. There are still a few tickets left in Boston and Seattle and Dallas, I believe, but that is it. Everything, everywhere else is sold out. But don't worry, even if your city is sold out, it's showing in about 400 theaters. Now, if you are overseas, don't worry either, because we have some overseas and online details coming really soon. Just make sure you're on our mailing list or email list over at theminimalists.com. Just type your email in there. You'll be the first to know about all of our overseas shenanigans. And if you want to see the film, you want all the details, just go to minimalismfilm.com. You can see the beautiful trailer there and just click on see the film to find the theater closest to you. And while Ryan and I are on the road, you can follow all of our behind the scenes antics on tour uh, or on facebook.com slash the minimalist. We'll, we'll have updates there and then. On Instagram, we'll post behind-the-scenes photos, Periscope. We're going to do some some live video Q&A sessions. And on Twitter, we'll continue to tweet our smart-alecky remarks on Twitter. So you can follow us over there. And I have a, a writing class that's coming up um, on June 26, a one-day writing workshop. If you're interested in that, seats are limited, but you can find all the details over at howtowritebetter.org. All right. Finally, here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Hello, this is Spencer. I'm calling from the Bronx, New York. Um, I have recently been minimizing a lot of my books. I went from two bookshelves down to one, which felt really great. And I uh, thought of a really great way to donate books um, is, yes, you can give them to Goodwill, or yes, you can donate them to a library. But if you are living near a school of any sort, uh, school classroom libraries gen, uh, generally are uh, pretty poorly stocked just because books cost a lot of money. So if you have any books that you're willing to get rid of that students uh, could find interest in, um, and you'd be surprised at the type of literature any student could be interested in, so don't don't knock any book off your list. Uh, donate it to a school would be a great way for someone to get a lot of value out of that book. Hi, this is Christian Collins from Fort Collins, Colorado. I was listening to the podcast, and I just want to give a suggestion for people who run into family members wanting to buy them gifts for holidays or birthday or whatever else. What we do is instead of asking for gifts or having people get us gifts, we instead take the proactive approach to ask them to make a donation of the gift value that they were going to purchase to a charity in their name or our name. And so an example would be my birthday is around Thanksgiving, and we ask people to give money to a local food shelter so they can, so people who need food can get food during that holiday. Hi, this is Susan from Lincoln City, Oregon. Just wanted to share an idea I had with you. I'm trying to encourage my daughter to get rid of some of the extras around the house. She's 15. 
And anyway, so told her that anything that she can sell on eBay, she gets to keep the profit. She's been really excited, already has 20 things going. Um, we're reducing our extra stuff around the house, things we no longer need. And I kind of joked with her pretty soon. She'll ask me, like, she'll be taking pictures of the underwear on my ass and selling that. All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. If you have a question for the minimalists, give us a call, 406-219-7839. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have you gotta reach for and you gotta grab oh i bet that you'll be fine without it so tear your eyes